Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Rogue by Philip K. Dick. This is first published in Fantasy and Science Fiction, February 1953. This story was Philip K. Dick's first professional sale. It was not the first professional sale to come out, but it was the first one where he got paid for something in cash or by check, uh, and it led to a big career. His um, editor, the guy who um, bought it from him, was a friend of his. He had spent been spending some time with, and um, he said, uh, I'll buy that story from you, and he put it in his magazine, FNSF. I think um, I think we need to read this. It is uh, fairly long. It's about 14 minutes to read. But it's so important to experience the story that um, we're going to have to have a, a, a much abbreviated discussion of the rich, rich, richness that is inside the story itself. Um, so once you read it, here, Eric, read it. Uh, and listen to us discuss it, you're going to have to read it again and appreciate it all again because it's so rich. Okie doke, Jesse. Rogue by Philip K. Dick. Rogue, the dog said. He rested his paws on the top of the fence and looked around him. The Rogue came running into the yard. It was early morning and the sun had not really come up yet. The air was cold and gray and the walls of the house were damp with moisture. The dog opened his jaws a little as he watched his big black paws clutching the wood of the fence. The rug stood by the open gate looking into the yard. He was a small rug, thin and white on wobbly legs. The rug blinked at the dog and the dog showed his teeth. Rug, he said again. The sound echoed into the silent half-darkness. Nothing moved nor stirred. The dog dropped down and walked back across the yard to the porch steps. He sat down on the bottom step and watched the rug. The rug glanced at him. Then he stretched his neck up to the window of the house just above him. He sniffed at the window. The dog came flashing across the yard. He hit the fence, and the gate shuddered and groaned. The rug was walking quickly up the path, hurrying with funny little steps, mincing along. The dog lay down against the slats of the gate, breathing heavily, his red tongue hanging. He watched the rug disappear. The dog lay silently, his eyes bright and black. The day was beginning to come. The sky turned a little whiter, and from all around, the sounds of people getting up echoed through the morning air. Lights popped on behind shades, and the chilly dawn, a window was opened. The dog did not move. He watched the path. In the kitchen, Mrs. Cardosi poured water into the coffee pot. Steam rose from the water, blinding her. She set the pot down on the edge of the stove and went into the pantry. When she came back, Alf was standing at the door of the kitchen. He put his glasses on. You bring in the paper, he said. It's outside. Alf Cardosi walked across the kitchen. He threw the bolt on the back door and stepped out onto the porch. He looked into the gray, damp morning. At the fence, Boris lay, black and furry, his tongue out. Put the tongue in, Alf said. The dog looked quickly up. His tail beat against the ground. The tongue, Alf said. Put the tongue in. The dog and the man looked at one another. The dog whined. His eyes were bright and feverish. Rogue, he said softly. What? Alf looked around. Someone coming? The paper boy come? The dog stared at him, his mouth open. 
You certainly upset these days, Alf said. You better take it easy. We both getting too old for excitement. He went inside the house. The sun came up. The street became bright and alive with color. The postman went along the sidewalk with his letters and magazines. Some children hurried by, laughing and talking. About 11, Mrs. Cardozzi swept the front porch. She sniffed the air, pausing for a moment. It smells good today, she said. That means it's going to be warm. In the heat of the noonday sun, the black dog lay stretched out full length under the porch. His chest rose and fell in the cherry tree. The birds were playing, squawking, and chattering to each other. Once in a while, Boris raised his head and looked at them. Presently, he got to his feet and trotted down under the tree. He was standing under the tree when he saw the two rugs sitting on the fence, watching him. He's big, the first rug said. Most guardians aren't as big as this. The other rogue nodded, his head wobbling on his neck. Boris watched them without moving, his body stiff and hard. The rogues were silent now, looking at the big dog with his shaggy ruff of white around his neck. How is the offering urn? The first rogue said. Is it almost full? Yes, the other nodded. Almost ready. You there, the first rogue said, raising his voice. Do you hear me? We've decided to accept the offering this time. So you remember to let us in. No nonsense now. Don't forget, the other added, it won't be long. Boris said nothing. The two rogues leaped off the fence and went over together just beyond the walk. One of them brought out a map and they studied it. This area really is none too good for a first trial, the first rogue said. Too many guardians. Now the north side area, they decided, the other rogue said. There are so many factors, of course. They glanced at Boris and moved farther back from the fence. He could not hear the rest of what they were saying. Presently, the rogues put their map away and went down the path. Boris walked over to the fence and sniffed at the boards. He smelled the sickly, rotten odor of rogues, and the hair stood up on his back. That night, when Alf Cardosi came home, the dog was standing at the gate, looking up the walk. Alf opened the gate and went into the yard. How are you, he said, thumping the dog's side. You stopped worrying? Seems like you've been nervous of late. You didn't used to be that way. Boris whined, looking intently up into the man's face. You are a good dog, Boris, Alf said. You're pretty big, too, for a dog. You don't remember long ago how you used to be only a little bit of a puppy? Boris leaned against the man's leg. You are a good dog, Alf murmured. I sure wish I knew what is on your mind. He went inside the house. Mrs. Cardosi was setting the table for dinner. Alf went into the living room and took his coat and hat off. He set his lunch pail down on the sideboard and came back into the kitchen. What's the matter? Mrs. Cardosi said. That dog got to stop making all that noise, barking. The neighbor's going to complain to the police again. I hope we don't have to give him to your brother, Mrs. Cardosi said, folding her arms. But he sure goes crazy, especially on Friday morning when the garbage men come. Maybe he'll calm down, Alf said. He lit his pipe and smoked solemnly. He didn't used to be that way. Maybe he'll get better, like he was. Mm-hmm. We'll see, Mrs. Cardosi said. The sun came up, cold and ominous. Mist hung over all the trees and the low places. It was Friday morning. 
The black dog lay under the porch, listening, his eyes wide and staring. His coat was stiff with hoarfrost, and the breath from his nostrils made clouds of steam in the thin air. Suddenly, he turned his head and leaped up far off, a long way away. A faint sound came, a kind of crashing sound. Rogue! Boris cried, looking around. He hurried to the gate and stood up, his paws on top of the fence. In the distance, the sound came again, louder now, not as far away as before. It was a crashing, clanging sound, as if something were being rolled back, as if a great door were being opened. Rogue, Boris cried. He stared up anxiously at the darkened windows above him. Nothing stirred, nothing at all. And along the street, the rogues came. The rogues and their truck moved along, bouncing against the rough stones, crashing and whirring. Rogue, Boris cried, and he leaped, his eyes blazing. Then he became more calm. He settled himself down on the ground and waited, listening. Out in front, the rogues stopped their truck. He could hear them opening the doors, stepping down onto the sidewalk. Boris ran around in a little circle. He whined, and his muzzle turned once again toward the house. Inside the warm, dark bedroom, Mr. Cardosi sat up a little in bed and squinted at the clock. That damn dog, he muttered. That damn dog. He turned his face toward the pillow and closed his eyes. The rugs were coming down the path now. The first rug pushed against the gate and the gate opened. The Rugs came into the yard. The dog backed away from them. Rug, rug, he cried. The horrid, bitter smell of rugs came to his nose and he turned away. The offering urn, the first rug said. It is full, I think. He smiled at the rigid, angry dog. How very good of you, he said. The rugs came toward the metal can and one of them took the lid from it. Rug, rug. Boris cried, huddled against the bottom of the porch steps. His body shook with horror. The rugs were lifting up the big metal can, turning it on its side. The contents poured out onto the ground, and the rugs scooped the sacks of bulging, splitting paper together, catching at the orange peels and fragments, the bits of toast and eggshells. One of the rugs popped an eggshell into his mouth. His teeth crunched the eggshell. Rug, Boris cried helplessly almost to himself. The rugs were almost finished with their work of gathering up the offering. They stopped for a moment, looking at Boris. Then, slowly, silently, the rugs looked up, up the side of the house, along the stucco, to the window, with its brown shade pulled tightly down. Rogue! Boris screamed, and he came toward them, dancing with fury and dismay. Reluctantly, the rugs turned away from the window. They went out through the gate, closing it behind them. Look at him, the last rug said with contempt, pulling his corner of the blanket up on his shoulder. Boris strained against the fence, his mouth open, snapping wildly. The biggest rug began to wave his arms furiously, and Boris retreated. He settled down at the bottom of the porch steps, his mouth still open, and from the depths of him an unhappy, terrible moan issued forth a wail of misery and despair. Come on, the other rogue said to the lingering rogue of the fence. They walked up the path. Well, except for these little places around the guardians, this area is well cleared, the biggest rogue said. I'll be glad when this particular guardian is done. He certainly causes us a lot of trouble. Don't be impatient, one of the rooks said. He grinned. Our truck is full enough as it is. Let's leave something for next week. 
all the rugs laughed. They went on up the path, carrying the offering in the dirty, sagging blanket. I've uh, I've read this story many, many, many times. I often read it with my students. Um, and uh, I recently came to a few <laughs> conclusions about uh, uh, some things about it. It's, it's just such a deep story, but one of the things that often happens is I notice when students are reading it, they mispronounce the word fury as furry. <laughs> um, he's dancing with furry, they say. It happens consistently, and I understand why. When you're into the story, you think of a furry dog. <laughs> now, yeah. that misreading of what's going on is so funny because it's a word on a page we should be able to read it but that's not actually the way things work right we as we read we anticipate what we will see and this is how we perceive the reality of the world we anticipate what we will see and then we check that against the sense data coming in and if they are mismatched in any way it gives us a strange feeling um this is a story about a family, the Cardosis, and their dog. Their dog barks at strangers. He calls them all the same thing. Rugs. Now, that's hilarious. It's the first line of the story. Rug, the dog said. Dogs don't talk, so they don't say. But Philip K. Dick has made that as the basic premise... And so this story, is it a fantasy story? Is it a science fiction story? It's a Philip K. Dick story for sure. Because what he's done is he's put us in the mind of the dog in such a deep way that we see the reality that the Cardosis can't see. And at the end, it feels like maybe the Cardosis are wrong. <laughs> That's impressive. You, you know, um, I I don't want to uh, suggest anybody is uh, not a deep, perspicacious reader. But I got to tell you, I had a little trouble figuring out what actually was going on yes. in this story. There's a couple of spots and, where I'm confused as well. So, I've got it down so I'm now. I'm wondering, would you just sort of tell us what you think happen what what an all what an an offering urn is mm -hmm. and what's in the blanket and just just what are the the main plot points in all the right. story so um it's it can be a little bit confusing there's a couple of lines that are interpretable in multiple ways which is sometimes i think accidental and sometimes on purpose but that ending scene is we're we're foreshadowed with it um Mr. Cardosi suggests uh, that he gets uh, Boris gets especially upset on Friday mornings when the garbage men come, and then we see the garbage men come. We think um, as they scoop up uh, the offering urn, which is a garbage can in a certain sense. Um, the garbage bags come out of it, um, and at one point in the story, one of the rugs pops a a bit of broken eggshell into its mouth. And that's probably at the point of the story you say, wait a second, maybe these are aliens, right? Or whatever. 
And uh, the reason I'm saying aliens is uh, Philip K. Dick sort of implies this in a later interview or introduction uh, about what's going on and how Boris sees reality. Um, and I, I like that image. But um, that that can be explained, I think. <laughs> uh, I made a chart. If I may, I, yes. I, I do... I, I, I think this part I can uh, help clarify a little bit. The Rue stretches his neck up to look in the second story window. Yes. So it's not an ordinary human being. And I think what's what's going on here is that just as dogs can hear things that humans can't hear, this it's being posited that dogs can see things in a range that humans can't see. Mm-hmm. So and anyway, so uh, I, I that's think right. aliens... They are aliens in a certain sense. Um, I've had, um, my mom's had dogs her whole life, and so I've had dogs, right? She has dogs now, and when I go over to her house, they tend not to bark at me, except for one of them, he's going a little blind. So sometimes he doesn't recognize my vehicle. (laughs) He he will bark. Um, They bark when they want things, but their main job, and, and not all dogs operate in the same role, is something we bred into them, something that we genetically manipulated them into doing, which is being warnings, warning some strangers coming guardians. into your yard, some guardians, guardians, absolutely. And so, if you think about what what an offering urn is, right? An offering urn is a thing full of delightful things that you are uh, putting into a garbage can. Now, we think that they're garbage. That's you and me. We take some old food wrappers, and we take some old food, and we put all the things that smell interesting in there, and then we leave it out for some stranger to take away. (laughs) If you're a dog, those things smell delicious, and they belong to the master. And the master is having his stuff stolen from this very wonderful container. It's taken out of the yard and taken off by horrible monsters that smell bad. It's repeated. He's so good in here. The smells throughout, the dog smells the acrid, bitter sense of rugs. But at some point, we, if we're reading carefully, we'll notice that the first rug is not a garbage man. We can interpret him as being something much simpler. It's the paper boy. That scene is... Uh, when I first read I didn't understand it, but it's right there for us to be able to find. Mr. Cardosi comes out of the bedroom. Mrs. Cardosi's making coffee. It smells good. It's steamy, right? And he says, did the paper come? And she says, it's outside. How did it get there? Well, that's the scene that we see right at the beginning. The rug came running into the yard. Rug, he said. The dog blinked at the rug, right? He was a small rug, thin and white, on wobbly legs. And notice that the dog doesn't notice the newspaper. But then we do see the rug glanced up at him. Then he stretched his neck up to the window of the house, just above him. He sniffed at the window. There's a a little bit of ambiguity as to what's going on here. This is like the fourth paragraph in. The dog dropped down and walked back across the yard to the porch steps. He sat down on the bottom step and watched the rug. The rug glanced at him. Then he stretched his neck to the window of the house just above him. 
He sniffed at the window. Who is the he here? Is it Boris, or is it the paperboy? I think it's both. But Boris doesn't perceive the newspaper. He perceives the rogue. Well, speaking of ambiguity, that's not how I read it, which is not to say that you're wrong, because I understand that it could be, but I thought that, uh, in fact, that th there was a rogue who was casing the joint there is. to see whether or not they had human beings, and he was looking up through the second-story window, Absolutely. which a human paperboy couldn't. Um, when so I don't I, I don't think Rug is just the name for strangers. I think Rug is the name for aliens. But but I can see how you read it your way. I'd like to know though in the line, how is the offering urn? The mm. first Rug said, "Is it almost full?" This is an offering of what, from whom, to whom, for what purpose? Mm -hmm. And no, I'm actually asking. Yeah. How do we read the story? Do we read the, the rugs as thinking that human beings put out these offering urns to um, fend off the rugs? Do yeah. we think that the. I mean. It's amazing. What is this? It's amazing. I actually, uh, years ago, I made a, like a, a chart to figure out what everybody was thinking about what's going on. And one of the perceivers is the rugs. And there are more than one kind of rug in this story. Um, clearly, the first rug is the, the paper boy in a certain sense, but he's a stranger casing the joint, right? He's also a stranger casing the joint. Um, later on, we get two rugs sitting on a fence and uh, talking about what they're going to do later, right? And then finally, we have the rugs show up in their crashing uh, thing that we assume is a garbage truck, but maybe is something more menacing. If you look at it from Boris's point of view, these are aliens who are threatening the Cardoses. And that ending where we anticipate maybe Boris is going to have to be sent off to Mr. Cardosi's brother because he's just annoying the neighbors with all his barking, that's a horrible danger, and that's why Boris becomes so upset. In a certain sense, his family will be destroyed if he's not there to protect, right? The offering is the only thing present, pre preventing their death, right? Their destruction somehow. But from the Cardosi's point of view, it's just garbage men. So when they, when the, when the uh, rugs are discussing their plans and Boris is overhearing them, he, he sees them as getting out a map and getting out danger and then we have this feeling when when the some of the garbage spills out of the garbage can and a a uh, piece of eggshell is put into the mouth of one of the rugs we are suddenly flipped and totally i think in boris's camp that these are not human beings no human being would pick up an eggshell that's fallen out of a garbage can and pop it in his mouth that's not normal. <laughs> That's not human. Um, but uh, a really interesting thing um, occurred to me years and years ago about why, how dogs perceive reality and how we perceive reality. One of the things is, you know, we have one mouth and they have one mouth. That's how we're related. But actually, we have three mouths. I have a mouth that I talk with and make noise with and eat things with. And then I have another mouth that's my left hand 
and another mouth that's my right hand. And these are capable of holding things in the same way that dogs are capable of holding balls or sticks or enemies, right? Biting. And they can make noises and they can provide pain in the same way that a mouth can provide pain uh, from one dog to another, a dog to a human. Um, and if you dropped an eggshell as a, as a garbage man, you would be right to pick it up. <laughs> That'd be a good thing in your mouth, a.k.a. your hand. So, in a sense, Boris is correct. And that's because this was, you know, it's his genetic destiny, in a certain sense, to perceive the reality as this way. No matter how many times you tell your dog, no, that's just the garbage bin. You don't need to worry about them invading the house. He has it built into him to perceive it that way. That's amazing that Philip K. Dick has captured this this experience of reality through another creature's eyes and nose. <laughs> and nose. You know, I, I, I like that. I like how he is getting us through... Uh, to see through Boris's viewpoint. Um, it is somewhat alien. Uh, Boris, after all, this is a story that was published in 1953, and Boris was, if from an, a, a standard white bread American viewpoint, definitely a word for the enemy, mm -hmm. uh, the other, right? This is you know, not... We have immigrants here. Mrs. Cardosi is clearly an immigrant. Alf, who speaks, uh, who's probably Alphonse or something, uh, whatever his name was originally in Italian, uh, Alfonso, um, he doesn't speak excellent English. He leaves off uh, helper verbs. Mm -hmm. So we know this is an immigrant family. Um, this is a whole bunch of different things coming into wherever we are whatever that city is. I always think of it as an early Berkeley, California. Me too. <laughs> because I know where, where, right, where Dick grew up. So we've got the Rugs coming in. We've got the Cardosis coming in. We've got Boris coming in, who's rather a large dog, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, in 1953. But what happens is that uh, we, we, the, the white bird Americans, and the immigrants that we have allowed in, um, have settled and created uh, containments so that Boris can't get out. Mm -hmm. Although it might well be that Boris could protect us if we could let him get out. And what he's protecting us against are these rugs. I personally think that their garbage truck is equally invisible to human beings, mm -hmm. that it's taken them um, many weeks to come through and clear out this area of town of its human beings because now maybe you're going to tell me I'm wrong here but this is what I find the most confusing sentence mm -hmm. but I've settled on how it looks to me in the last page look at him meaning Boris the last rug said with contempt pulling his corner of the blanket up on his shoulder mm -hmm. Boris strained against the fence his mouth open snapping wildly so the rugs are already outside the fence mm -hmm. they've come in and they're going out, and they've got a blanket. And one rogue holds one corner of the blanket, and clearly at least one other rogue holds at least one other corner of the blanket. The way I look at it, what they've done is they've scooped up one or both of the cardoses. Mm -hmm. They've put them in the blanket, and they're clearing out this area of town. Yep. Yep. So... <laughs> In fact, um, 
the aliens that we don't see are the ones that are going to kill us. Yep. The aliens that we manage to integrate into our society are who we are. Mm -hmm. And the aliens that we make believe that are part of our society, but nonetheless make sleep outside for us, could help us, but don't. You know, we've discussed Philip K. Dick's political interests in discussing other stories of his. It seems to me that one way to read this story is as a sort of metaphor for 1953 politics. Mm -hmm. It's not just a joke about how we don't know what's coming for us. No, it's, it's not really it's not a joke about at all. What's coming for us. Yeah. It's very serious. And this is something you see in a lot of Philip, you know, The Hanging Stranger is it's a chilling horror story, the father thing. It's a chilling horror story. There's suburban horror hidden that other people are not appreciating. And when you confront them with it, they laugh it off like it's nothing. That It's deadly serious. Um, Philip K. Dick actually based this on a real dog in, <laughs> in his neighborhood named Snooper, uh, an Australian <laughs> shepherd, I think his name was, or his breed. And, um, and yet... This menace, this threat, this paranoia is throughout his his writings, and it's even in the tiny little details in here. This is on page 124, uh, four or five paragraphs from the bottom. I want to just focus in on this tiny little detail. It smells good today. This is Mrs. Cardosi talking. That means it's going to be warm. In the heat of the noonday sun, the black dog lay stretched out full length under the porch. His chest rose and fell. In the cherry tree, the birds were playing, squawking, and chattering to each other. Once in a while, Boris raised his head and looked at them. Presently, he got to his feet and trotted down under the tree. Why is that in this story? It's because the birds aren't just playing and squawking, they're also chattering. And we see this in other Philip K. Dick stories where ants talk and spiders talk. The perception that Boris is having about what's going on and who is an enemy, yeah, we all live in this country, this Berkeley, right? And we all live together and the garbage men come on Fridays. But we also have a fence. And we also have a dog. And we don't have the dog because we like petting him at, in the evenings and uh, in the mornings. He's an outside dog. He's there for a reason. So even if they forget what the reason that they got Boris was, he's there because he keeps the rugs away. So deep. Of course it is. Of course, this time he, he doesn't keep them away. Mm. He can't. I, They're not listening. Tiny... Another tiny detail. We were wondering what the offering urn is. Mm -hmm. The very last line of the story. They went, the Orugs, on up the path, carrying the offering in the dirty, sagging blanket. Mm -hmm. If they are thinking of the Cardoses as offerings... Then remember when one of the rugs said to the other, I wish we didn't have to do this. And the first rug says, they decided. Mm. 
it may well be that the rugs are out collecting cardoses, <laughs> humans, yep. who make an offering to they. Whoever they are. And so, right, so the offering urn may be, I mean, when I hear, think of the word urn, I think of uh, a funerary urn. Of course. Urn. Uh, right? It may be that the offering urn is, in fact, the urn of the offerings, which is to say human beings put this stuff out and the rugs know it. Um, who is offering what to whom? And what kind of appeasement is intended here? We really don't understand the underlying system, and yet Dick makes us feel that it is inescapable. Yes. And, as we've both been saying, it somehow mirrors our American system. Mm -hmm. You called it suburban horror. Amazing. Without one single wound or drop of blood. Yep. Because we make it up. Dick makes sure there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.